This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here again is Dan Loney. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The term fake news has been brought into our lexicon courtesy of President Trump. He has used it to dissuade Americans from believing many of the negative stories about him that have come out since his election. But we are now seeing targeted campaigns involving stories or theories that may not be true. And the impact that they are having is significant. In this era of big data, these fake news campaigns are targeted, just like, in many cases, the voluminous advertisements we get on websites that we visit or the emails that we receive. Disinformation campaigns are nothing new. Countries have been running them for decades in wars or battles. What's different here is the use of advanced technology in our lives to gain that advantage. Wharton professor Eric Clemens recently penned a two-part opinion piece on the Knowledge of Wharton website looking at this relatively recent pattern. Eric is in the Operation Information and Decisions Department, and he joins us in studio to discuss it. Great seeing you again. It has been a while. Thank you for coming over. Good to be here. Uh, can I comment on your number of the day? Yes, you may. So I picked up a bottle of 1937 um, uh, Glenlivet. It cost me yeah. $30 decades ago. It started selling for $8,000 in uh, uh, Japan because people wanted to serve it at a daughter's wedding. Sure. I was curious. I opened it for my 65th birthday. It was spectacular. And my palate isn't good enough to tell the difference (laughs) between an $8,000 bottle and a $500 bottle. So I've got to assume whoever bought this bottle of Burgundy intends to resell it. I would think that that's probably the case. Uh, Great having you here. Um, So the interest to look at this, obviously, the the term fake news is so much in our vernacular these days. But but specifically where, where you are looking at it, what was the interest point for you? Great. So we've lied, we as a people, we as governments around the world, as you know, have lied for decades. But it's really difficult to come up with a mass market lie that appeals to everyone. So if you're Germany, it's the 30s, you've been trashed by World War I, uh, you believe you didn't really lose the war, but you're still out of work because of the reparations payments. A lie that says we didn't lose the war, we were stabbed in the back. Uh-huh. That's a very powerful lie, and it sure. resonated with almost almost half of Germany. Uh, but it's hard to do that. It's hard to come up with a lie that appeals to a lot of people. Uh, my first Facebook friend was uh, actually Mark Zuckerberg, hmm. uh, just by an odd coincidence. And his business model was always that the users were the product. The users were free, and you would monetize the data. And I've been worried about how that could be used for a long time. So I've been studying modern, um, modern fake news. Modern fake news isn't about sending the same lie to everyone. Right. Modern fake news is about sending just the right lie uh, to each of us. Uh, so if I need to manipulate a, a close election uh, anywhere in the world, I don't broadcast a fake story. I narrow cast dozens of fake stories, and that's that's what Cambridge Analytica 
enabled the Brexit guys to do. That's what Cambridge Analytica enabled the Trump campaign to do. We can talk more about why that works. Yeah. But the basic idea is finally targeted stories. How much, though, is this specifically possible because of the digital technology that we use day in, day out? And, you know, pretty much I'm sitting here with my iPhone that we are all kind of connected to these devices uh, almost 24-7. It's inseparable. The two are inseparable. I remember a a researcher uh, explaining that if he looked at public data, I'm not talking about deep dives that only your friends can do. If you look at public data on people's uh, Facebook page, you can generally infer, he said, he made it cute. He said, I know more about you than you do. I know more about you than your partner does. He said, I can infer your age, of course, your education, of course, Mm -hmm. your political affiliation, uh, your preference in pets, your religious affiliation, your degree of religious belief, your sexual orientation, your income. And he just went on and on with what he could infer with public information. So if I need to manipulate what you believe, I'm not going to send you something that will repulse you. I'm not even going to send you something that you know is false. I'm going to send you something that appeals directly to your beliefs and doesn't violate anything you actually know to be true. Eric Clemens joining us here in studio. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. That's the interesting piece of it because... In this day and age, you're well, I guess maybe if you were going back in time and you were thinking about putting together a variety of different campaigns to impact the thought process, wherever it may be, Germany, Venezuela, you you can name the location that there has been trouble. That would be a significant time investment. It would be it would be more than that. And it would be impossible. Right. Because something that would appeal to one voter would be obviously false to another. Right. And infuriating to a third. So it's, you almost couldn't do it. What you need to do is know each of your micro audiences. You know, I was, uh, was very lucky. I was an early round investor in a brewery, and I understood resonance marketing. Yeah. Resonance marketing says some of us drink alcohol-free beer. Some of us drink wheat beer. Some of us drink Belgian sours. Some of us drink double IPAs. And someone who wants a Belgian sour is actually going to spit out a double IPA. Sure. So the same problem with giving me the wrong beer, giving me the wrong story, the story will just be spat out. So the impact then when that occurs is what? Uh, when, in this, speaking in this day and age with with fake news. Okay, so when, when I used to work uh, the desk at a beer festival, I would watch somebody's face. And if I gave somebody a double IPA uh, and the expression was one of loathing, I would immediately come out with a sweet Belgian just to get that taste out of his mouth so that he or she wouldn't walk away angry at victory. When I'm designing a a fake news campaign, we're not drinking uh, bad beer. We're drinking dangerous Kool-Aid. And the trick is to see who wants which flavor of Kool-Aid. Can I even do an example? Sure, please do. All right. So if um, if I know somebody has just lost his house in South Carolina, because of a hurricane, and he's really miserable. I'll send him. In, uh, I'll send him a message. He'll be somebody who gets a message 
of condolences, yeah. of sympathy. Then we'll point out that stuff like this has always happened. It happened before. It, it'll happen again. It has nothing to do with uh, global warming. It's just chance. Take your insurance payment, rebuild, and love your view. Yeah. If I'm sending a story to an out-of-work coal miner, I'll have a completely different argument. So for an out-of-work coal miner, I'll say something like, the Chinese invented this as a hoax. Uh, the Chinese economy is still heavily dependent on coal yeah. because they know it's a hoax. Their principal objective here was to get us to impose an economic disadvantage on ourselves, to raise our cost. And it worked. But you're collateral damage. They didn't intend to hurt you. You're out of work because we fell for a lie. How much do you think then then this run of fake news has either impacted it has impacted the fracturing that we see in this country on a political basis or that was maybe there and then this fake news has kind of enhanced what 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 was already there That's a great question. So most of <clears throat> most fake news has been intended to create um a point of view it's been intended to advance tariffs or oppose tariffs or advance mining or oppose mining. But today's fake news will advocate both sides of the same story. Uh, today's fake news coming out of, out of uh, Russia is designed to make the pro-gun control and the anti-gun control people even angrier. Huh. So today's fake news is, in fact, not to advance a point of view. It's really a lot of it. It's to make us crazy. It's just to make us hate each other. And that's been what I thought was really the most, the most dangerous and the, the most divisive. Uh, years ago, <clears throat> Admiral Mullen, when he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs, thought the greatest danger to America was multiply hyphenated group affiliations. Right. If we didn't think of each other as Americans, we didn't think of each other as bro brothers, then there's no homeland to defend. And um, in hindsight, it looks like uh, he was right. It looks like the, the fake news campaigns of, of today are really designed to get us to rip ourselves apart. How much do you think then what we're seeing now today will, will unfortunately continue on unless we, we have the leaders of the, of the country and maybe even more so Capitol Hill – really start to think about the policy side of where we need to go and where we need to try and protect us. This is really so, so complicated. Uh, years ago, um, Arianna Huffington was elated at um, Obama's victory. Right. And she said it was a victory of, um, of the agora, of the Greek marketplace, of popular democracy, and I pointed out how very fragile popular democracy was, even in Greece. So the golden age of Pericles lasted about 21 years, and it collapsed because of a demagogue. It collapsed because of the serial traitor Alcibiades. Um, Mussolini and Hitler were in a different league from Trump. I'm not equating them. Uh, but, but President Trump has done a spectacular job in harnessing fake news, in harnessing public opinion. I cannot imagine a regulatory policy originating at the White House. In, in, in fact, regulation right. is, is really complicated because we do have First Amendment rights. 
And it's hard to shut one man's uh, fake news is another man's closely held opinion. So could it even come out of Capitol Hill? Because for many Americans, they see part of the problem also being Capitol Hill as well, which then you're talking about two thirds of the side of, of this problem that you have it coming from one side from the White House and then to a degree not having enough coming from Capitol Hill. So I one of the I always give an exam question about when you regulate. Right. And one of the things is the market doesn't fix itself. Right. Which clearly is true here. Uh, Facebook has no interest really in limiting the profits from fake news. Sure. And the third thing that in the middle is lots of other stuff. But the final thing is do no harm. So designing, <clears throat> excuse me, designing a regulatory policy to limit fake news without eliminating free speech is really complicated. You know, I made a list of things that could be done, and most of them make the, make the problem worse. The only thing I could think of that doesn't abridge freedom of speech is to limit access to data for targeting. You know, we have computer yeah. simulation models. We have models that, that show that fake news backfires if you can't target it. You know, if you send the same story to everybody right. and I can detect falsehood in the story, it has the reverse effect. But as long as we have targeted ad campaigns for sneakers, for food, for whatever, this becomes, to a degree, a natural byproduct of it. It does. And then the, the question becomes... How do you eliminate access to data uh, that is for legitimate marketing purposes? How do you permit access to data for legitimate marketing purposes and eliminate the access to data for fake news? And that has to do with what the information is for. Uh, It's very rare for your political affiliation to affect your choice of of, uh, sneaker. Sure. Uh, yeah. Trump managed, President <laughs> Trump managed to achieve that, but yeah. it's very, very rare. So there's some data that I need to figure out if you're a candidate for financial services, if you're a candidate for retirement planning. Very different data to see if you're a candidate for makeup or beer or shoes. But the what I would need to put together a campaign to get you to vote against uh, the EU and Britain or get you to accept – Uh, that global warming is a Chinese hoax in the U.S., that's very different data. And I think you would have to cut it off at the source. Eric Clemens joining us here in studio. Your comments welcome uh, at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. You mentioned in your piece... Uh, about some of the tactics that that these people are, are really using to try and, and craft that type of a message. What are some of the things that, that you see as being the, the, the modus operandi of some of these people? Again, the most important thing, is it's almost engineered. That's why these I call these crafted stories. They're almost as carefully researched as traditional journalism. Yeah. They're just false. Um, so if I were putting together, we talked about the story I would put together if you were, I just lost your house. Yeah. Uh, it's a different story if you suspect something is wrong and I want to show you how complex the statistics are and why you can't really believe it. It's a different argument. 
Uh, first thing, what do I want you to believe? Second thing, what did you just lose? Did you just lose your house? Did you just lose your job? What do you feel very strongly about? And the next thing is, what do you know? You know, so if if uh, and what what adv- what argument would advance my point of view? Yeah. So if I need you to know to believe, sorry, I need you to believe that global warming is a Chinese hoax, and that that's what cost you your job. I don't point out that the supply of natural gas is at an all-time high, the price is at an all-time low, yeah. and power plants are shifting not for regulation or because of the Chinese, shifting for economic reasons, that undercuts the whole argument. I don't talk to you about mining automation. I don't say anything that undercuts my argument. I don't say anything you know to be false. Right. And I make the lie simple and coherent. How do you think then this pattern is impacted by the fact, and you mentioned a lot of this going through social media, but there's obviously also a conversation about this regarding some of our traditional media. And and there's a difference in terms of regulation and not regulation with those two entities as well. So how do you potentially deal with it with the newspapers or, uh, you know, uh, some TV stations out there that that are that are uh, that are bringing forth a lot of these issues. Yeah, I'm I'm staying away from things like Infowars and Breitbart. Right. Or John Oliver and Bill Maher. I haven't defined John Oliver a riot. I think he's probably the most tech savvy comedian I've ever met in my life. <laughs> right. And I can't stand Infowars. But but. Um, I would leave broadcast alone for now. Okay. Because broadcast is is mass market, broadcast is seen, and broadcast is it's not secret. So if you get lies on broadcast, it produces a backlash. Uh, also, it's very difficult uh, in the U.S. to regulate what somebody can say that's true or false. You know, I thought about what a truth commission would look like. Years ago, some <laughs> of my colleagues wrote an article in Cornell Law Review about a federal search commission that was going to enforce truth. I can't imagine a truth commission because after watching the Kavanaugh hearings, sure. I can't imagine agreement on anything. And the only thing worse than a failed federal uh, truth commission would be a collection of red state and blue state truth commissions. So I'm going to have to leave Breitbart and John Oliver in place. Uh, but at least I can cut off, I can imagine regulation that would cut off the data needed for precision lying. I mean, one of the things that's absolutely essential with precision lying is the other side doesn't even know it's happening. Yeah. The other side doesn't have a chance to be furious. So. Secret targeting is is absolutely critical. How, so then, you believe that that when these ideas are being brought forward, and obviously they are being marketed to both sides of the political aisle, that there's not even the understanding that the two sides that don't get along to begin with, that the other side is getting another version of this story to draw the anger out towards towards them. It, it, it has taken away a little bit of that conversation that we used to be able to have, even though we had our differences politically, it's even taken away the conversation to begin with. One of my friends is a very successful uh, German businessman. And when he came to the States, 
in the late 60s, he basically hitchhiked across America, and he said he could stop off at a farmhouse in Iowa yeah. and just chat. He said he can't talk to Americans anymore because we can't talk to each other. You need to know exactly what somebody believes before you can have a conversation. Wow. I, sus- I suspect that uh, the Democrats, when they go low, we go high. I think we saw how well that worked. Yeah. And I think the Democrats are going to have a different strategy, in which case both sides are going to inflame their base, and it's just going to get worse. So then how, how, does, the, how does the American public start to maybe try and correct some of these problems? Because I think we understand that a lot of this is out here, but it's I think it, to a degree it's upon us as citizens to say, okay, enough's enough. I think we need a president whose slogan is make America one again. Okay. We need somebody who sounds like uh, FDR saying we have nothing to fear but hatred of each other. Uh, Once we agree we're one country, there's nothing we can't do. We need a completely different kind of uh, optimistic uh, fireside chat. It doesn't have to be a, a Democrat like FDR. I can imagine Reagan. Uh, bringing America together. But it's it's got to start with America deciding uh, that we have to be one country, that we can't rip ourselves apart. And then how much of an, of an angle, or should say does a perspective, could, if they wanted to, companies like Facebook or Twitter, play a role in leading us down that path? Again, as you said before, they probably wouldn't because of the financial component that they have already invested in in the advertising piece and the big data of it as well. I was amazed when Facebook kept saying proactive, and then they said, this is hard. It'll take two or three years to fix this. Hmm. If if the uh, producers of drugs like thalidomide, which cause massive birth defects, said that it would take two or three years to get them off the market, their, their stock would go to zero. Yeah. Um, Facebook could cut this off tomorrow and then take two to three years to figure out how to continue to make money. But Facebook is going to continue to make money while it slowly figures out how to cut this off. I am not anti-capitalism. I wouldn't be at Wharton if I were. Right. But I, I think of myself as really very patriotic and the needs of one company to have uh, spectacular profit margins probably are outweighed by the needs of the country. Eric Clemens joining us here in studio. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. What what this really does does show is that the components that we now see whether it be on Facebook or Twitter or, or other social media campaigns, is that people just have to be more aware, I think to a degree, uh, of the potential that is out there when they are reading a, a, a Twitter post or, or a Facebook feed. And, and to a degree, they have to decide themselves. It's so difficult to decide yourself. Right. You know, the example I always use, I was once very lucky. I had a, a climate change denier in the window seat I had the aisle seat, and he couldn't get up. 
He was trapped for he was trapped for an hour and a half. And although he was a high school graduate who never started university, he was really smart. Right. And by the end of of an hour, he understood the quantum mechanics behind carbon dioxide as a uh, greenhouse gas. He understood black body radiation. He understood the physics. And he also understood the limitations of the theory. And he said the stakes were too high for him to bet against climate change. I don't have an hour uh, for each person. But it turns (laughs) out that to, to convince you global warming is fake, is really simple. I can, especially if I know what you know and don't know. Right. The arguments behind greenhouse gases and their function and why we heat up only to a new point and then cool, that's quantum mechanics. That's not a casual conversation. So the, the truth is often much more complicated and seems fake. And the lies, if they're properly designed, really want to be believed. Great having you here. Thank you very much for coming in. And by the way, you can read uh, Eric's uh, two-part opinion piece on the Knowledge at Wharton uh, website right now. Go to knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu to find out more. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 